Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2017. What have you been into this week? So I finished the Red Rising trilogy. Uh, the last book is called Morning Star. Uh, that was really cool. I really liked it. I would recommend it. I have some gripes. I realized my biggest gripe, and I had trouble putting my finger on it as I was reading through the series, but especially with sort of the ending and lots of other things that happen, and I don't want to spoil anything. But So I don't know if there's a name for this trope, but it's where things are happening, and you're like, oh, man, shit's going down. Like, what, what's going This is crazy. I can't believe this character's doing this. I can't believe that just happened. And then it was like, oh, it was all secret plan. You know, that kind of trope. Um, give me, give me an example from, from something I might recognize. See how my examples are weed and stuff. Cause he likes to, do <laughs> but anyway, so there's an example like, uh, in, is there, are you, is it maybe like in game of Thrones with the Sansa and Arya are secretly double crossing little yes, fingers? That is a good example of it. Yes. It's not, it's a little bit of a weirder one. Cause I didn't think they executed it well at all, but yes, that's the idea. Like, why are these characters doing this? What's going on? Oh, they were in on it the whole time and it's all a big plan. So. Here's the problem with this. This I, this is not a trope that I hate. I think it can be overused or underused sometimes, whatever, or poorly used in the case of Game of Thrones, Sansa, Arya stuff, just poorly executed. Um, Whedon has done it in Dollhouse. He did it in Angel, um, both, I thought, to good effect. But then you start to see a pattern, and you're, like, looking for it after a while, uh, which is fine. But here's the thing. This works well on TV. It does not work well in a first-person, hmm. tight narrative book from the character's perspective who's making all the plans because they're reacting to things that are happening. Let's say, for example, like his best friend just gets shot and killed. And this is just an example. Uh, and he's like, oh, I'm, you know, he's so sad, so distraught. I can't believe this is happening. And it's like, oh, but it was all planned. It's like, but he wouldn't have been thinking that. Like, right. He, if you know, he was in on the, his reactions that, that you're reading are not the reactions of someone who would, who was in on the plan. Right. Got it. So it's, it feels a little bit, I don't know, like amateur to me. Like that should be like the first thing you're thinking of. Like when you're writing a, and this is a, this book series that is entirely from one character's perspective in mm -hmm. the I first person point of view. So I don't like that so much. I think it feels then like they're stretching just to try and make cheap, cheap twists and thrills. Yeah. Uh, and I hear there's a, a phrase that I've been hearing more like writing for TV or writing for movies. Right. Like mm -hmm. they really want this to turn into a movie or a TV series. So they kind of write it like one. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't, it didn't, I'd say it detracted a little bit for me, but I still really enjoyed the series and it was fun. But like that crack just like runs through it. Cause it happens a couple of times and you start to see a pattern and you're just like, mm, okay. I mean, there's some really, and it's not some of my other worries were kind of alleviated as the series went on. Like Gary Stu concerns and kind of things. It's like main character makes a lot of mistakes and like he pays for it hard. But I still think, you know, and like the overall story was really cool. The setting was cool. There's a lot to like from this series. But that's my, that was like my biggest complaint. So, and I feel like that's one of those things like when I pointed out, no one's going to be able to unsee it. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> but so I didn't, it didn't really click for me until the last book. And I was just like, oh, I see what's going on here. So yeah. it's one of the things where like on a TV show it works because you don't, you're not getting the internal thoughts of the characters. Right. But, so. Maybe it'll come across better in movie in movie form, which is happening. <laughs> but anyway, I did really like it. I'd recommend it. Um, Pierce Brown, Red Rising. Check it out. So other things I've been into, not really much. I've been pretty busy with just life and work and all kinds of stuff. But um, I really can't get Blade Runner 24-9 out of my head, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's just like 
the music and the visuals are just like sticking with me. I think I want to see it again. Yeah. And I'm going to have the opportunity because my movie passes came. <laughs> so. Uh, so that's your your debit card that lets you see one movie a day for the rest for of my a, life. Yeah. Well, until well, yeah. <laughs> until this company collapses. Pretty much, yeah. Because they can't get the agreements with the theaters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll take advantage of it while I can. Uh, so I'm going to try and find time to see that again. But yeah. So, and so last night I, I couldn't, I was trying to decide, like, I didn't have a book to read. You ever get that thing where you're like, you just don't really know what's next. You have a long, you have a list a mile long, but you can't decide where to go. Mm-hmm. And, and so the next uh, Stormlight Archives book comes out in a couple of weeks. So I'm not going to try and reread 3,000 pages before the next one comes out. But I just started the first book over again because I was couldn't <laughs> sleep last night. And I was just like, yeah, this world was really cool. Like instantly, the first twenty pages, I was like, "Yes, I this I'm so excited." So I might just kind of bop around through some chapters and read some summaries of that to get prepared. Mm. I have a short novella I want to read as well that takes place between two and three. Um, so that's what I'm that's what I'm into. All right. I feel like you say you don't know what to read next, but I feel like how many books have I told you? on this podcast like you gotta read this i know you gotta uh, and then you're like ah let me reread this old high fantasy nonsense no again. i'm not i'm not rereading it i'm telling you that i just started because i needed to sleep but um, smash cut two two weeks later i'm halfway through stormlight again just tell me so i can just put it when i go to bed tonight and i put it in my kindle what china me of you book should i read first pretty dough street station okay i will start that tonight if that's i have the, it on my kindle which i think that's I do. the f- that's the first book in the trilogy and um it's not my favorite book of the trilogy, but uh, it's still really good. Okay. So, yes, I have been neglect- neglecting your uh, recommendations like an <laughs> asshole. Like, Greg's sitting here reading all my high fantasy bullshit. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Anyway, on to more high fantasy bullshit over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just finished uh, I just finished uh, Before They're Hanged, and I'm ready to, you know, move on to the next, you know. What'd you think? Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think that... I mean, we were talking a little bit about, you know, TV tropes that don't work so well on the page. And one of them that, and I really like Joe Abercrombie's writing. I think his, the way he writes dialogue and the way he gives character to just the way people, you know, use their words is fantastic. One thing I can't stand though, that he's been doing a lot and it's a TV trope. It's the, you know, your main character is, you know, they've, 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 they're they've been disarmed and their back is against the wall and here comes the you know the 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 evil barbarian with their axe above their head and then suddenly from out of frame they get stabbed by a friend you know they get stabbed by one of the good guys a spear flies in from out of frame and he does that a lot in his action scenes and i hate that trope in television and movies now because it's so overused yeah um and and then and then when you see it in the in books I mean, sometimes it works because he writes kind of the, you know, like when there's battle scenes and there's a couple really big ones at the end of this book where it's, you know, like a proper battlefield um, and he's writing it from one person's perspective and you really get a sense of like the chaos and not knowing what's going on and everything's, you know, very surprising and who knows, you know, what direction the bad guys are coming from. Uh, He writes that very well. So the idea of things just popping in from out of frame kind of works, but he's using it a little too much. But anyway, I do think the next book I'm going to read is the uh, last argument of Kings, which is the the last book in the trilogy, because I feel like as good as much as I enjoyed this book, I feel like the overall motion of the plot 
kind of paused here. Yeah. And I'm kind of anxious to see things kind of get going again. We kind of expanded out the world and I learned a lot about the other wizards and, you know, that cool stuff. But I'm kind of anxious to be like, all right, so how about that magic rock you guys are looking for? Or, you know, I think (laughs) so early on in the first book, you meet this like superpower evil barbarian whose name I can't remember, but he's called the feared. And, you know, we spend this whole chapter like showing how badass and terrifying this guy is. And then we don't see him again. He is not mentioned. He does not appear on the page until the end of book two. And I'm like, this really feels like some padding here. (laughs) Like, really? We just forgot about the guy entirely until the end of this book, which, you know, has a little bit of the old like, is a little bit more realistic like you're not going to bump into every character at every turn but it just kind of underscores that like yeah the plot really hasn't moved much since since the end of the first book so anyway i'm really enjoying it i'm gonna move on to the next one yeah cool i think you should i would recommend it i think it's one of those series like if you put down you're you're gonna not, not pick it up again probably um just because of the nature of it did you so two questions here um did you like the sort of like deconstruction of like the cross world journey which is like eh, well nothing's here see you later like <laughs> i mean in a way i kind of liked it i mean I, I i you know and that you know this this place they were going to was just like a shitty out of the way island i kind of like that and i kind of like the mystery of this like mystical library being out on the shores of a lake out out in the middle of goddamn nowhere and like some really neat imagery associated with that but i also had a little bit of your princesses in another castle feeling when they got there because it again it's kind of like yeah this this book plot wise has been kind of you know maybe spinning its wheels a little bit and then you know we kind of get to the end of this story and it's like uh, no it's not here i'm like well yeah i kind of felt it was like i get what he was going for like haha mcguffin's not here maybe it's not even a real thing who knows like but it kind of also felt like all right well wh- why would we just spend a whole book doing that like because basically the you know the journey is a large chunk of it but um second question what do mm-hmm. you think of bias you got to spend a lot more time with him in this book i kind i like him i mean okay. i like i like the way that he you know like he talks like a kind of classical fantasy wizard in a lot of ways and does a lot of like classical fantasy wizard stuff but then when like you know you're hearing more about his past and you realize like oh no you're you're kind of just an asshole you know, and you've done a lot of dumb, shitty, like petty things. And um, even though you put on this great big act of being the wise wizard who speaks in riddles and all that, it's like, now nah, you're just a guy, man. <laughs> like, I, I enjoy that character. And I also like that, you know, um, he is also like, even though he is this like centuries old, um, you know, high fantasy wizard, like he also like gets mad and you know, like kind of bummed out about things and like he has emotions. And, um, when we meet that, uh, the lady wizard and she's kind of needling him and it's getting to him and you're like, yeah, it's like Gandalf. If Gandalf had feelings (laughs) and, you know, was also maybe a little bit of an asshole, a little bit more of an asshole, I guess I should say. Yeah. Just call the Eagles at the beginning, Gandalf, you dick. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he, he's by far one of the most interesting characters i've ever read i think so i'm glad you're enjoying it and uh yeah uh, i definitely recommend going on the next one um yeah. and, and this thing like i said like much like sanderson every single book he wrote is 
well, I probably like the first book better than the second book, but I think the third book is better than the second, and then all the standalones are sequentially better than the previous book. I actually like the standalones much better than the actual trilogy. I think yeah. It's awesome. I actually think, you know, Abercrombie is a good example of... I think you can rightly defend maybe a little bit more of a meandering plot in book two and say like, yeah, but his writing is so much fun to read. Just his prose and his dialogue is so much fun to read that you don't even really notice that the plot is kind of dragging. And that is a defense that is used for Patrick Rothfuss a lot. And I think falsely and wrongly, whereas in this case, it's like, no, I like, you know, just to hear, um, just to sit in uh, Inquisitor Glockta's head for a couple hundred pages and, and like just his, <laughs> his so his shitty attitude towards everything and just get to read that for a while like that's that's fun um so yeah i'm, I'm a big fan good good glad to hear it shall we move on to some news let's talk about some news so there's a story that's been flying under the radar a little bit in the video game and star wars world um and it's weird because it's it was the kind of announcement that it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a video game company would really announce about a game that's kind of under the radar and kind of in development and making a really big splash about, oh, we're taking development to a different studio and maybe retooling some things a little bit. Like, that's not something you make an announcement about. It's weird. Um, it's just the sort of thing where... You know, the game gets released and you're like, oh, I see a couple studios worked on this and, huh, this looks a little different than that 10 seconds of it we saw in E3 about six years ago. Huh. But anyway, so this is about a, now there are a lot of Star Wars games in development and Electronic Arts EA has the license for all Star Wars video games and they've got a ton of them in development. Battlefront 2 is probably the highest profile right now, but they've got a bunch of different Star Wars properties and a bunch of different um areas so one of the games that's been in development and it's been in development since like 2013 um by the studio an ea you know sub studio visceral who's best known for the dead space games which were a really great series single player um survival horror very story driven um and it was actually being led by amy henning who used to work at naughty dog on the uncharted series so another very um uh, Uncharted is the game that the new Tomb Raiders ripped off. <laughs> mm -hmm. So very, very narrative driven, you know, all single player, very high budget, you know, um, meticulously detailed, all those things. Um, so it was pretty safe to assume that this particular Star Wars game was going to be very similar, very linear, very story based, very high production values. So just in the last couple of days, um, Patrick Soderland, who is one of the, uh, uh, you know, some high muckety muck over at EA released the following statement. Uh, and I'm just going to read this thing because it's weird. <clears throat> Quote, throughout the development process, we have been testing the game concept with players, listening to the feedback about what and how they want to play and closely tracking fundamental shifts in the marketplace. Highlight that in your brain. It has become clear that to deliver an experience that players will want to come back to and enjoy for a long time to come, we need to pivot the design. We will maintain the stunning visuals, authenticity in the Star Wars universe, and focus on a, bringing a Star Wars story to life. Importantly, we are shifting the game to be a broader experience that allows for more variety and player agency, leaning into the capabilities of our Frostbite engine and reimagining central elements of the game to give players a Star Wars adventure of greater depth and breadth to explore. End quote. 
So the studio that they're shifting this to is EA Vancouver, who is best known for some Need for Speed games and like every NHL hockey game for the last 15 years or so. So not exactly a studio you would think of when you're thinking of like, ooh, you know, big narrative single player. And all those talk about like play, uh, game players will want to come back to and shift in the marketplace. So, you know, what a lot of people are pointing to, um, Giant Bomb kind of had this analysis. I read a very similar analysis on Polygon is that this is essentially, you. this could be the death of the big budget single players um uh story driven game for you know uh, as ea looks at its entire kind of star wars portfolio and they look at all the different games they could make under this license which are going to make a ton of money they look at this one and they say no i think this needs to be probably more like destiny where it's like long-term game as a service um microtransactions loot boxes etc etc as opposed to like play it once, maybe maybe go through, get some achievements, and then go sell it at GameStop, like, you know, a more single-player experience. And this, they laid off an entire studio of people when they when they took this out. So the, the argument is that the economics of these games just aren't working out, or maybe more accurately, that the economics of a game like Destiny or Overwatch... Um, those are more attractive than the economics of a game like Uncharted. So what do you think? I mean, what if, I mean, are you a big single player guy? You know the answer to that. Um, I, do I? No, not, I mean, I, the only single player games I've played have been the Batman games, like the Arkham games, Tomb Raider, Shadows Mordor. There's a pattern there in case you're seeing it. Um, <laughs> and Skyrim, but like three mm -hmm. years later and I didn't finish it because I, just have super bad ADD when it comes to that sort of thing. I've spent yeah. too many hours in my house and I was just like, all right, I'm done with this. Like, um, I, I've always been attracted to multiplayer games since multiplayer games were like a thing, you know, I played, so uh, sometimes we'll talk about this, but I, I played a shit ton of star Wars galaxies when I was in high school, mm -hmm. like 40 to 50 hours a week, shit ton. Um, which looking back, I don't really know how I did and like survived <laughs> but because i was also not like an antisocial curmudgeon like i was in band and worked and got good grades and i don't know but so i've always been attracted to multiplayer stuff and then i got really hooked in league of legends and then now I'll play like more like here's the storm and overwatch and that kind of stuff so i like the the social nature of games i like to, be able to play with my friends and talk over the headsets that's the way we keep in contact even though we're no longer physically close to each other um I don't dislike single player games. I just tend to, in the small amount of game time I have, I prioritize the multiplayer games. So I'm kind of killing two birds with a stone. I'm playing video games and I'm seeing my friends, quote unquote, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so that being said, this is interesting. And I'm, I guess I'm surprised by this. Like, I felt like this has been sort of coming for a while. I mean, I think that there's still going to be the big single player games that people, there's always going to be another, you know, Elder Scrolls down the line, always another. Well, maybe. I don't even know they're working on yeah, that. Yeah, that's you know? the thing. Like, I mean, if if EA, yeah. who has... you got you got to think EA has their cost structure really under control. And, you know, a Star Wars video game is a guaranteed big seller. And if they look at this and they say, we're willing to throw away all the money we already spent on this because we don't think it's going to make as much money as something else. I mean, if, if, if EA 
can't make money with a Star Wars single-player game. Like, can Bethesda make money with another Elder Scrolls? I mean, they seem to have really been stuck on Elder Scrolls Online, you know, which is their... In, the, in their card game they made, which they're probably making buco bucks off of. Like, yeah. that's the problem right now with the game industry is that... And, like, the, I, I have a confession. Um, I don't really want to say this, but... So, Uh-oh. there's a reason, though. I've been pretty hooked on a mobile game. I've only <laughs> put $1 into it. Um, and the only reason I played it was because a good friend of mine lives in China and works for the game studio. I was like, this is the game we're working on. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. You do the English translation for this game. I'll play it. Like, I got a little hooked and I can see the trap and I can see the whale swimming around. And it's like, and he was telling me the, I don't want to share too much information, but he was telling me some of the economics. It's like, oh yeah, we got a whale in, you know, Hong Kong that's already dropped, you know, $150,000 on the game. And it's just like, when that opportunity is there, there's only so much room in the market you know, for people to still be carving out, you know, like if, if a company's looking at that and saying, man, it took them three guys in 10 days to make that game. And that's an exaggeration, but you know what sure. I mean? Like versus 50 people of a high level of like, you know, craftsmanship construct this game that are we even be selling enough to make, like, why do that when like, they probably still make money? They won't make near as much if they can get a game with, like I said, microtransactions and that sort of thing. Right. But in the time it takes you to make, in the time it takes you to make one Uncharted, how many you know, free to play mobile games could you make and be, you know, making several million dollars on each one. Right. So I'm not surprised by this. I think that, you know, there's still like, they're still going to have games like, like the Battlefront games, as an example. Battlefront 2 is like, you're in a single player, but, you know, there's the multiplayer that's going to sustain it long term and probably make up the difference for that company. It's almost like residual sales of DVDs or whatever helping to make up for a movie's budget when it doesn't yeah. perform well in the theaters, that kind of thing. So if you can't, multiplayerize it i see this as a major trend and i'm not surprised i mean most most games have a multiplayer component built in right it's rare that they don't but um i don't know i mean i think there's other answers out there i mean does a single player story driven you know linear game does it need to be 20 30 40 hours long you know um could we cut development costs if you know, the next Last of Us was only 10 hours. But that would have to be paired with a, a reduced, reduction in cost, I think. That's the other thing is, like, I'm not going to spend $60 for 50. And, like, a lot of single-player games have been kind of declining in playtime and replay yeah. value. So the price tag has stayed the same, and the amount of time you get to play the game is going down, even if the quality has improved, maybe. But it's a time thing, right? Like, I'm not going to... Three dollars an hour is not the rate I'm going to play for a game right now. You know. Yeah. I'm, and, more, I'm more like point zero zero one dollars <laughs> an hour. Yeah, and I and you know you could also there's arguments I think to be made for okay is there other you know kind of cost bloat elsewhere in the in kind of the value chain of a video game that you know I mean I feel this is a very like 2007 conversation to have but like you know. Think, looking at how much the executives of these companies get paid and is that one of the reasons that the economics are shifting you know and are there is there you know costs are as high as the development costs are high because we're paying a lot of people to shake hands with other well-paid people um is is that an issue um you know how much is the how much of the cost of video game development now is linked to physical distribution or engineering weird ways to make sure that, you know, 
to kind of thwart used game sales, those sorts of things and marketing budgets and are they bloated? But I think the other big component that we're sort of ignoring is just like with movies, the international market has a different appetite. Yes. I mean, like Asia loves MMOs, free to play mobile games, you know, uh, League of Legends style games, you know, um, blank on the names of those right now. MOBAs. Uh, MOBAs. Yeah. Thank you. And like, they love those kind of games. That's what, you know, and, and even you can see like Starcraft has, I mean, it's still, it's still popular in Korea, but like it's, it's beat out by those games. Like this, it's like a yeah. B tier game now that has taken over that, that area. And there's a lot of people in China that want to play these kind of video games. So yeah. just like with movies that have been, as we talked about last episode, like sort of streamlined and pulled out some of the system of the guts, like that's happening for this too, because to meet that market, because you don't want to like alienate or ostracize or not meet that market demand as a game company, especially a big one like EA. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff happening. It's weird because we've got some, some other trends going on. We're going on this video game thing hard, but I'm sticking with that's it. That's fine. Um, we don't got a news to talk about anyway, so. Um, <laughs> but like, you've got the other trends, like card games are huge. I mean, like Hearthstone is huge. And even things like the Elder Scrolls game is really popular, the, the Gwent from Witcher, like they're big, not huge, but like getting big and getting more popular. I think Eternal is going to be clung up the ranks here. And then you have, on the other hand, you also have like this really weird, you have a lot of indie stuff happening, you know, on mostly in the computer space, you know, and through Steam and things like that. But then you have like what I call like the more sandboxy games. It's a very popular style thing. Games like Rust, games like, um, what's the, what's the really big one everyone's playing right now that like. PUBG. Yeah. PUBG, like stuff like that. Where like, I think the first, and then why, why I asked this is because. The first game to sort of nail combining some of the elements of those things with a big AAA name, you're gonna have a, a like a runaway classic, I think, if they do it well. Like to combine that sort of like survival sandboxy build construction thing in a universe people know and like, and like put some actual like beef behind it, so it's not just like looks like graphics from you know 2002. I think there's a market space for that there, and it would. I mean, I guess that's the new form of an MMO, sort of. I think that old form of MMO, like a World of Warcraft MMO is kind of dead. Yeah. Not dead, but like pretty dead. Like Destiny yeah. is pretty close. Is like we're riding that line at times, I guess. But like, is it time for a new Star Wars MMO? Well, I mean, isn't, I'm pretty sure Galaxies is still online, right? Didn't no. it go free to play? No, Galaxies has been offline for almost five, seven years because they made Nightsville Republic. That is that what I'm thinking yes, of? Yes, you're thinking of that. That's still online. And that's an awkward one because like, they build it with like the old cannon and then like it's still running. So they didn't get like the plug pulled on it with everything else. Uh, it's free to play. I played the beta and it was beautiful. Like, like the graphics were awesome and everything, but like it just didn't have that meat. Like I don't like rail instanced MMOs. I like sandbox MMOs like EverQuest mm -hmm. was like that. And then Star Wars Galaxy was built on the EverQuest engine. So that's what I had to play. I like having a house and having a shop like towards the end of that game. I spent more time just like managing my economic activities like that's why i should never play eve but like i think that there's i don't know there's something there i think to be done but see i don't i mean i not to mention minecraft and stuff like that obviously being huge but i worry about where this is headed because when i think about my greatest video game experiences they've all been in a single player 
experience. Even moments that, you know, where I did something really, really cool in a multiplayer game that feels really great in the moment, but it doesn't really stick with me, you know, of that time that I was playing Battlefield. There's like one I could think of in my entire career. I was playing Battlefield and uh, a tank was rolling towards me and I somehow managed to crouch uh, and go prone in such a way that I slid between the, the treads of the tank and I rolled over under it and planted C4 on the bottom of the tank as it rolled over me and then detonated it. And that was like the greatest thing I ever did in a, in a multiplayer game. But like, does that compare it to all of like the holy shit moments that I've had in Dark Souls or in Metal Gear or in, um, or in Uncharted or Last of Us? I mean, or even in, you know, more open single player games like Red Dead Redemption or, you know, the Elder Scrolls games, I would be really sad to see that kind of dwindle. And also, I feel like a lot of the more microtransaction-driven, quote-unquote, free-to-play games, even Destiny to this extent, like, I know what I'm doing is I'm chasing a weird dopamine compulsion. Like, and the games are engineered this way that, you know, when you open that loot box, it gives you a little dopamine burst and you're chasing that. And I just don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> like, because a lot of these behaviors, especially in free-to-play games, I mean, we've all been there where it starts to feel a lot like addiction. I, I do agree with you. And while I, I, I disagree entirely with you about your first part, like, I'm the complete opposite. No, no single-player game experience has ever stood out to me as being, like, I feel like that's opposite of you. Like, it's fun in the moment, but it never sticks with me. Like, oh, yeah, hmm. Batman games are really good. It was fun. I enjoyed it. But, like, I can, you know, for multiplayer stuff, I can think of back when I was, like, 14 playing Star Wars Galaxies with, like, my guild, and we had, like, crazy politics going on with other guilds and, like, you know, alliances forming and crumbling by the day and then, like, you know, having these big attacks and then, like, other times just, like, playing League of Legends with my friends for, like, 15 hours, you know, drinking in college, like, that kind of stuff. Like, hmm. the social atmosphere of that is makes memories for me and, like, the social aspect of games. Now, obviously, that can be tough depending on... There has to be certain mechanics you need to have for a game to make that fun because I also have plenty of memories of League of Legends, like wanting to throw my computer out the window after getting, you know, raged at for like six hours straight. Yeah. But I do get, I do agree with you about the dopamine and addiction though, because it is, that's what it is entirely. It's the same addiction we get from checking our phone and looking at notifications. Like our whole society is just like, that's like getting too broad. That's very like three years ago but like oh come on man you're all just part of the system like but like it is it, it's like it's little these little tiny things that like you look for and you check and you get rewards for it immediately and it's like instant gratification and i you know and i'm not saying this from the point of view of like curmudgeonly old man of like hey, these kids today in the video games are rotting their brains and they're all addicted to it i'm saying <laughs> this as somebody who um you know, who has been playing games and, and, you know, kind of realized like what I'm doing here is not fun. It feels more like a compulsion. This feels a little bit more like an addiction or, you know, as someone who has, you know, who, who, who struggles with compulsive behaviors, um, you know, I can feel it when I'm playing eternal and I cross a line from actually enjoying what I'm doing to just, doing something compulsively or uh, there's a lot of other games where I've, ex I've experienced that or when you start to have that feeling of you just start to get irritable because you haven't played your particular game and then once you fire it up you feel better again and it's like 
I worry that if that is what video games are becoming, if that is the future, I worry for myself and for all of us because I don't, oof, that's a scary world. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, look a little deep here. Like, I definitely have, that's something I've run into in the past mm, maybe five years because growing up, video games, you know, in high school and college and in grad school, like, video games took up a lot of my time and becoming an adult and becoming in a more committed relationship, you know, move, you know, living with a, a partner, like your life changes. I'm sure having a, you know, starting a family, all that same thing for you. Like, and I felt myself feel irritable about that sort of thing. Maybe not quite at the compulsionary level we're talking about, but just like, I felt irritable because I wasn't getting to play games. Yeah. And, but I think it was partially because like I was missing those dopamine kicks of, Oh, I, you know, and it's, it's what it is. It's grind. It's like hitting grinding, right? Like, yeah. and you're on the loot. Tr I mean, like I sometimes admire games. Like, I mean, I, I hate them because I think they're stupid, but like games like Diablo or like Path of Exile. Like my friend is, I mean, hopefully listens to this. Yes. You were addicted to Path of Exile. You know who you are. Like, <laughs> and they're just, they're straight up loot treadmills. You're just running and they, you just play the same thing literally over and over again to just get better loot. Like there's no even, like, yes. you know, and to get better fine. loot so that you can be better on your next run to get better loot. So you can be better. Right. Yeah. And like that, and it, it, and like, I always say, like, I don't like that sort of thing because it feels different when I'm playing with other people because at least I'm getting some social interaction and like, I'm trying to beat other people. So it's more competitive, like in that sort of like sportsy kind of nature, like in a card game or mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I feel like I'm, I'm using more brain cells. I don't know. But like, I know there's lots of really cool stuff that happens in those games, like build crafting and that kind of stuff. There's tons of cool stuff to do, but it always felt different, but maybe it's not, maybe it's still just like the two sides of the same coin that that. You know, I, I, well, and I, I've, and made, I've made peace with, like, video games just aren't as big a part of my life anymore. And maybe just these stupid mobile And, like, I really think I need to stop playing this mobile game. Because, like, what you're describing is, like, yeah, I'm playing this game as, like, a compulsionary, like, thing. Yeah. And it's designed. And, like, my friends are like, you realize this is designed to just, like, try and get you to spend money yeah, on this game. To tickle, so. to tickle your uh, to tickle your lizard brain. Like, yes, there are, there are behavioral psychologists who work for video game companies to make sure that... Um, the loot box animation when it opens, you know, it triggers the maximum, <laughs> uh, you know, dopamine response and, you know, random loot boxes are designed to, well, okay. So there's things, um, and, uh, the loop is essentially and a guy from Google wrote a book about it, which is scary. Um, but it starts with, so there's an itch, which is there and there's a scratch and there's a reward and the itch is something like, you have your game has like daily quests that reset so that there is a reason to check it every day. So that's the itch. And then there's the scratch, which is the thing you do to prompt the reward, which in the case of a lot of games is play until you get a loot box. And then the loot box is the reward and the reward is always random because that is a part of what makes you want to keep going to get the next one. Cause it's like a slot machine. Um, and the people, they know this loop, and they know how to manipulate our brains and hack our brains to um, keep us coming back and buying gems and coins so that we can then go and buy the next thing. And they know the exact conversion rate between real dollars and gems to, to be just confusing enough so that you overspend. Like, they know these things. And that's what's sinister about it to me is that, you know, when Miyamoto was designing Mario Brothers, like, the sound of the coin coming out of, you know, a, a box is very pleasing and probably has that dopamine trigger. 
but that wasn't his his plan, you know, when he made it. Um, but now, you know, you actively have people working against you to like really make this stuff as addictive and compulsive as it can be. And, you know, I, I fall victim to it. I do. Um, but if that becomes all video games are and, you know, there is no more Dark Souls, there is, well, I mean, that series is done, but, um, there is no more Metal Gear Solid. Damn it, that series is done. <laughs> Why can't I just be young again? I guess is what I'm saying. No, um, I, I'm going to be, it's going to be pretty disappointing. And it becomes something that, you know, like as a parent, you know, thinking about like, how much am I going to let my kid play video games if I know these things are designed to be like little addiction engines? Like, do I want to put that sort of thing in my daughter's hands? Because on the by the same token, I've had a lot of really great transformative experiences through video games, just like any other art and blocking it off because 90% of it is like weird digital drugs feels weird too. So this is a man, I'm really hoping that, uh, this turns out to not be the case and that this trend that this, you know, this weird quote unquote pivot on this, you know, high profile star Wars game is not a harbinger of things to come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm, this is heavy. This is, yeah, man. This is big. Yeah. No, hey. I, it's, I agree with you, man. Like I've been thinking about it more and like, you know, I was always sort of one of those guys who was always very pro technology in the hands of kids and, you know, getting them acclimated to it. Cause like it's the way of the world and blah, blah, blah. But like, sometimes the more I see it's just, and like, maybe this is because I'm just getting old, but it's just like, I don't know. Like there's some serious questions as a parent. I think you have to really confront that are tough and, you know, it's hard because like, I it's just hard because you could see and like, I think it's hard because like, not every game company is hiring behavioral psychologists to do things, but then it makes a market standard that yes. everyone follows. And yeah. then if you're not following it, then people, you're not meeting expectations of, you know, gamer groups. So I mean, I still think there's probably, you know, just because I, you know, since I tend to stray away from typically stay away from like the, even though right now I'm playing games that function very much that way, like, my natural inclination is more towards like games that are player driven. I won't say story driven. I say player driven. That's what I like about games. That's why I like competitive games. That's why I like things that, you know, those sandbox games where players make the experience for one another. And mm -hmm. that I think is very fun. And I still think there's room for that for people that just like, okay, so this is a good example. Uh, are either of your parents addicted to their phones or do you know a person in their age bracket who is? Um, I don't know. I don't think my, uh, I don't know. They, I, I mean, the, the, the sad truth is that my, my parents live three hours away. So I don't, I don't, when I see them, we're in visit mode. So it's tough to say if I'm seeing like their natural behavior, but I do, I will say that, uh, my mom responds to texts real fast. And, um, I, I know that, you know, she, she likes a lot of things on Instagram. So I don't know if she's addicted or not. Yeah. So I bring this up because it's very similar. Like I like my both my mom and Shay's mom are worse at like being on their phones in public and during conversations and like out to dinner and stuff than we are. And I've been reading about sort of a shift in some of like the I don't even know I don't know what generational gap we are, but like you know people in their like late twenties, early thirties who like kind of went through the addiction phase and are kind of realizing like uh like maybe this has been not so a positive impact on my life and are sort of tending to put the phone down a little bit more, like being more conscious about when to look at it and mm -hmm. trying to remove some of those pieces. So I wonder if there might not be a, the hope might be that there'll be a, a recognition as we're doing talking about right now 
and a move by some of people in our generation and the you know it's hard because we're fighting against the whole world of billions of people uh aka asia like but like you know a trend towards us pushing back against that and playing games that don't do that but i don't know if that's enough to adjust market forces in that way yeah well um maybe we should we should we should shift gears and talk about something <laughs> really weird and and kind of funny um so that was our video jim, game episode everybody yeah <laughs> you know jim davis yeah as in the guy who makes garfield which for you kids out there um garfield is a comic strip uh, well you you kids you know garfield minus garfield right so garfield is what Garfield's finest Garfield was before it got edited. It's a comic strip, which is a very, very short comic book, which is uh, what movies are made from. A uh, very, very short comic strip that is published in a newspaper, which is like last week's internet printed on shitty paper. Um, <laughs> Just more three levels deep there. Yes. So, so Jim Davis, who's like a million years old and has o- only ever done really Garfield, one of the most successful comic strips in history, if not the most successful. Um, he is making a series of Galactus and Silver Surfer strips for the Squirrel Girl comic. Like, apparently there's a special issue of Squirrel Girl that features, like, a, a zine internally made of, like, with, like, a bunch of, like, guest, quote-unquote, guest contributors. Like, some of them are going to be, like, actual, like, little comics or articles written by, like, Marvel Comics characters. But also this, which is... Galactus and Silver Surfer, written and drawn by Jim Davis. And it is bizarre. It's it's really weird. Uh, we'll include a link in the show notes. Um, because it's one of those things where, like, I mean, Jim Davis has been doing Garfield and only Garfield for millennia. Then, So to see him do literally anything else is very, very strange. And even Garfield strips. And, you know, I think this is one of the subtle geniuses of of garfield strips is that like they're almost they're really really minimalist like it's just like it's usually it's three panels um and it's static there's very little background or scenery it's usually just garfield and john and maybe Odie, and that's all you see and um there's no props there's there's nothing um but then to see him do anything else it's so 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 weird um, but like, and like, he's kind of adapted the same kind of dynamic between, so like Galactus is kind of like Garfield. He's like fat and lazy and just likes to eat. But in this case, <laughs> it's planets instead of lasagna. And, um, Silver Surfer is more like John where he's more setting up the punchline for Galactus or setting up the joke. Galactus delivers the punchline. But, and also, I mean, how did this happen? Like Jim Davis, that dude does not need money. He does not <laughs> need exposure. Like I honestly... If I had to guess before today reading this article, I wouldn't, I'm not even sure necessarily dude's alive. I just kind of figured somebody else is writing that for him now. And just, (laughs) it's still under the name Jim Davis, but like, it's not him, but like, but actually the art is actually like, I mean, you know, it's easy to make jokes about Jim Davis, but like, um, the art is great. Um, I mean, it looks like Jim Davis, but, um, but it's just so weird. It's so weird and kind of delightful to see so uh we'll, we'll link to that uh as a bright spot <laughs> in our dreary universe it's pretty interesting i i'm curious like what could they possibly be paying him to like 
yeah do this like i mean in, in my mind and this is not how it works but in my mind every morning jim davis wakes up gets his cup of coffee reads the newspaper sits down writes a garfield comic strip and sends it in the mail and then he goes to bed and like, that's the next day <laughs> <laughs> and that's his life like and then they're saying just puts us around and does whatever he wants because he doesn't need to do anything else besides that. So as long as he keeps those strips coming every day for the papers, um, that's not how it works, I'm sure. But so for him to be like doing this later in life, it just seems, it's just really weird. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, kind of delightful. And um, at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, I see what they're doing. This is some jokey thing in the back of Squirrel Girl. And um, it's in this, like, oh, they did a, in the style of Jim Davis, like, oh, that's funny. But no, it's Jim fucking Davis. <laughs> Why? What is happening? And I guess maybe he, you know, probably dying for a chance to do something other than that stupid orange cat. Yeah. So we got a, uh, a movie announcement. Uh-huh. A singular movie announcement. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, we got a name for the Han Solo movie. It's it's Solo. Yeah. Big surprise. Uh what do you think I, of what, 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 what do you think of like the a Star Wars story tag on everything? Um, I mean, it's probably helpful. They probably think it, it makes sense to brand the side stories differently than the main continuity. Yeah. Um, because if they're going to be putting out a movie every year or whatever, you know, they they probably want to give people some guidance about what, what what's what. Um, but I don't like the name Solo. I, I I feel like, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like it would be better if it was like the Kessel Run or something. Yeah. A Star Wars story. Yeah, I agree. It's just it's just lazy. That's all. It's just, yeah. It just feels lazy. I don't know. People and, were recommending like old, like the classic. So another brief intro, brief, uh, you know, backstory on the EU here for a second. Um, the only Star Wars EU books that came out for a long time beforehand were these books by Brian Daly, uh, a science fiction author who wrote like, Han Solo and Lando Carizian. Uh, did he do the Lando books? I forget. I think he did. Uh, but he did like Han Solo books in like the 80s that were like just like fun action sci-fi romps. And they were called like Han Solo and the, you know, Crystal Star. I forget they're called. The, the like, Crystal Skull? <laughs> yeah. No, I think Crystal Star. I don't know. But like, you're like, you're like kind of like those action adventure yeah. titles. Like that would have been fun. Like Han Solo and the Carillion, whatever. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But, like that's. And that's kind of where I was leaning to, because also this, it feels like I don't want a character study of Han Solo. That's not what any of us want. We know that guy really well. We've seen him in four movies now, and we know who Han Solo is. And I don't want a character study, which is what, like, you're going to call it Solo, almost like it's like a biography, you know, of a real life person. Like, no, I want I want to go on another adventure with Han Solo and calling it something like, you know, like the Kessel Run or or you know, Han Solo and the mystery of the Sarlacc pit or something <laughs> like that's more interesting. And like, Ooh, I want to see what that's about as opposed to like, ugh, the movies about Han Solo. I don't want to see a movie about Han Solo. I want to see a movie where Han Solo does cool shit. Yeah. I mean, I thought Rogue One was a good title. Yeah. That's a good one because that, that, that sets up what there's enough mystery there and it's exciting sounding and, you know, it, it sounds a little bit like a squadron and one implies it's the start of something like there's mystery there. But if they just called it like Urso, you'd be like, I don't want to see this movie. I don't or care like about her. Death Star plans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, you know, they're going to call it. They're going to call this solo and they're going to call the 
fucking Boba Fett movie, Fett, or something like that, or like Bounty Hunters, or and then they're gonna call the Kenobi movie Kenobi. Like, I just I just see it coming. I'm just like, mm. yeah. And everyone, and then just then it just seems like when you start looking at it from that angle, it's like it's just be like a movie for each person, and that seems dumb and lazy. Well, but see, even I would even take a like if it was, you know, like Kenobi, I would. I would like to see a character study of Obi-Wan Kenobi because I think he's an underdeveloped character. We really don't know that much about him or see that much about him except in the shit movies. Um, so like actually getting to know like old Obi-Wan, like we talked about this before, like I would want to see that. That's a character study I want in the Star Wars universe, not Han Solo. Uh, he's kind of an asshole with a heart of gold, but he doesn't have his heart of gold yet because he didn't, doesn't get that until like uh, – empire so he's just an asshole <laughs> yeah not 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 a fan uh, yeah not a fan um similarly in movie news um so nicholas windig reffin who directed drive and only god forgives and neon demon and uh, a bunch of other weird things drive is probably his most well-known and most accessible movie um he is debuting a free streaming service early next year i think it starts in february called by nwr um which is a collection of quote obscure and forgotten films um but it's one movie a month specifically chosen by him and every quarter there's a theme so it's gonna be like you know four movies in a theme uh the first theme is uh regional renegades exploitation gems from the southern usa which kind of sounds like um, everything Quentin Tarantino has been watching for the last 15 <laughs> years. Um, but I just think it's really interesting and weird that, you know, that just somebody is starting a streaming service that is this kind of really purpose-driven, like, curated thing. Um, and while this one doesn't sound terribly interesting to me, I really like him as a director but i'm not terribly interested to watch like some restored indie film from alabama uh, i mean I, I don't have as much free time in my life anymore but the idea that there might be like smaller niche streaming services that come out that might only be one or two movies a month um seems like i could be like i kind of like that future yeah i think this will be this will take off because i think that people in our age brackets like they really want to get like I'm gonna generalize here, but like authentic, like underground, real, real experiences. But I also think we're like really lazy and want it spoon fed to us. <laughs> so like the idea of curated things, I think, is something that as our generation continues to age and still has that desire, but also just like isn't willing to just like flip on you know ABC or whatever. Like they're gonna want these like niche curated things i almost think about it like uh this is a bad this is like a weird parallel but like i think about this thing for like craft beer mm -hmm. like i was just saying and now people try to do it like curated cases of beer based on style mm -hmm. as opposed to like come by there's a big selection like here's our ipa pack for the month yeah. like that kind of thing i think is going to be and like also like all those like blank of the month clubs mm -hmm. similar thing I think people like I think this will take off if and I think you can monetize something like this in other areas where maybe it's not quite as expensive as Netflix, but like you get given like your, you know, your homework assignments for the next month. And I think people certain smaller groups of our generation will really latch on to that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it'll be interesting to see where that goes just as a, a model for other services. In other movie news, um, I read today that uh, Hollywood is once again trying to make a Lone Wolf and Cub movie. Uh, Justin Lin, who's directed a bunch of Fast and Furious movies and the most recent Star Trek movie, is attached to direct. Um, but like most things that are getting turned into movies, uh, can we can we just not? Can we not? I mean, there are a bunch of lone wolf and cub movies that were made in japan in the 70s and a tv series also in japan in the 70s um and so the script for this one apparently is being written by the guy who wrote the script for seven so that could at least bring it some quality but i mean can we just not this is another one of those things this is one of my you know like i've talked about before like my one of the rare perfect things like Lone Wolf and Cub is a perfect comic book. And and also it is it is it is intensely Japanese. And I don't know that you can westernize it without cheapening it and I'm just unhappy about this. You probably don't know much about Lone Wolf and Cub. I've only heard the name. So Lone Wolf and Cub is a, a Japanese comic series that started in the in the 70s. I think 1970 actually. Um it's a samurai story about um, the former shogun's executioner. So uh, in traditional, uh, the seppuku ritual, the ritual suicide, um, you know, once the person, you know, cuts open their belly, they're then, they're decapitated essentially by a second who is doing their Buddhist duty of ending that person's suffering. Um, and also, you know, preventing a long, gross, disgusting um death um and in the cases when the uh, suicide was ordered by the shogun there would be a, an official executioner an official you know decapitator um who would who would do the job and in this case uh now we get into the fictional realm of you have your character main character he was the shogun's executioner he gets framed for a murder by a bunch of ninja and uh his wife is killed so he basically takes his newborn son um and goes on a you know multi-year journey of vengeance um against the you know the the ninjas who framed him and so that's a pretty cool setup i mean he's like just like straight up murdering dudes with a baby on his back um and but um, but he also, he kind of roams Japan, like basically being a bounty hunter for justice as he like goes on his revenge quest. And it's, so it's a great, just like issue to issue comic. Um, but it's also very deeply rooted in like a lot of samurai philosophy and, um, you know, moral questions and concludes with a 137 page fight scene. Jesus. Yes. 137 pages of one fight scene just between two dudes. Um, it's a legendary book and one of the few comics that I keep in like physical form in my home because at one day, one day I would, I guess this is weird now because originally my thought was like someday I would like my son to stumble across these comics and read them and like, you know, like get some samurai sense. Uh, I don't know how I feel now as my daughter, and that's probably weirdly sexist of me, but I, oh, that thought only just crossed my mind. But uh, Lone Wolf and Cub is really a perfect thing, and it's not just a, like, oh, you like Japanese comics kind of 
um, thing. Like it's a perfect work of art and um, to see it corrupted by the guy who further ruined the Star Trek movies. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm sorry, Greg. All your okay. all your favorite things are being being dug up from the dead and shown for all to see. <laughs> but Black Panther looks good. It does. Uh, I have just brief, like maybe this is just like my own, just like uh, personal qualms. But like in the past, many trailers that have used like hip hop or rapper R and B as like their music of choice have been bad. <laughs> and now I have sort of like a Pavlovian dog sit. Plus, I don't particularly care for that genre and ge- most of that genre in general. But because at the same time, most like movie trailers that use like faux rock or metal have been bad. Um, and now I have this like instant reaction where I hear it, it makes me think like bad movie. Mm-hmm. But in this context, it makes a lot of sense to use that, you know, type of music. Uh, but anyway, that's just an aside. But so this trailer I think- was cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I, I'm with you. Like, I'm also, I mean, I'm not a, I, I, I've, I've never really been able to connect with hip hop in the way I connect with, with other genres of music. Um, but I do think it, it's tough in, in trailers, especially for trailers, like for a superhero movie, because when we're, when we, we've been trained to, especially by the most recent rash of movie trailers that all involve a somber, uh, female vocal of a slowed down 80s or 90s song like to pay attention to the lyrics as they relate to what we're seeing on screen and a lot of times there's just like a disconnect between the hip-hop lyrics and what we're seeing on screen just maybe a difference in tone um like maybe there's just like too much swagger and bravado for what seems like more of a like serious and more subdued hero which is maybe what might feel weird about you know this particular trailer um uh, but yeah, I think it's more just, I don't, it's, it, it, there is a disconnect. Um, but this movie looks really good. Yeah. I mean, like they're definitely Marvel's going full on embracing cult, like color, ah, yes. like in two ways in this, but like obviously people of color, but also like colorful sets and costumes, which is good because like African art is very colorful and like, it all just fits together really, really good. And, you know, I was actually talking to my friend at work about, he like did a bunch of research into like afrofuturism that is like Mm -hmm. was a genre of a lot of things back in like the 70s and 60s and and like i was like he's talking about i'm like oh it's black panther is what you're talking about like (laughs) you know so it's interesting but i i think it looks really cool i think i mean the only thing i don't love is like that his enemy is like a guy in another different color black panther suit yeah because marvel's kind of done that a couple times but it's kind of what you have to do in this movie i don't know like what else he'd fight like i don't know well that's kind of how his villains are like so but it also feels like I've seen, I've seen so many like again like superhero origin movies where just like the villain just feels so disposable now. I'm just like I don't even care yeah. because it's usually just like a darker version of our hero, and they are inconsequential because you beat them and then they never appear again. I think the only exception to this is probably Loki, who yeah. you know, um, and that's probably the genius of of Loki in the Marvel movies is that. You know, you you find a way to make your antagonists stick around, and sometimes they're heroes. And, and somebody pointed out that that's one of the big successes of the Fast and Furious movies is that whoever the villain was in the last movie, they're going to be on the side of the good guys in this new movie. <laughs> and that's, I guess. And in a way, that's dumb, but also it's like, well, you you create these cool characters, and we like them, and but then 
but we also, you know, I know, uh, well, I'm not going to get invested in this guy. He's going to disappear. Um, we like them and just give me an excuse to see them again. And you know, the, the Marvel movies have done a great job of like keeping Loki in them because he's awesome and he's a ton of fun. And there's something about his character where sometimes you make alliances with him and, you know, even the, the, the latest X-Men movies have done a good job of keeping Magneto in the movies. Um, because we like to see Michael Fassbender be Magneto and come up with a good excuse to keep him in there. And I kind of wish more like superhero movies would do that where like, cause I'm looking at, you know, that, that I think it's Killmonger is the character and he looks great. Um, Michael B. Jordan it looks great as the character and I'm just, but it's kind of like, ugh, I just don't care because he's going to get beaten and then we're going to move on to whatever the next thing is to get Black Panther ready for Infinity War. So they're just so disposable and they don't have to be. Yeah, I mean, like one of the, I mean, it's hard because you don't want to have a movie end with like, I'll get to next time villains and like your heroes and like speed off, you know, but like there's better, there's ways you can keep them around. And like one of the fun things of the comic, like, you know, the big guys in comics is like, yeah, sometimes the heroes do have to like team up with Dr. Doom to like, beat galactus or whatever and yeah. like that's okay you know and like you you part ways and next time i'll kill you kind of thing all right fine but like what you know you move on so that's the thing is like they've also eliminated every villain so even if they're still you know only a couple have like gone to prison <laughs> most of them have just been like turned to dust yeah well like, usually I mean, by infinity gems but i i loved james spader's ultron and but i don't get to see him again or um or do we Ugh. No, we probably don't. Uh, no. Um, or, you know, um, now I'm blanking on the name, but Ronan the Accuser from the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, he was awesome. We pr- he only got like six minutes of screen time. Like, why can't we yeah. just, why can't he just be a recurring villain? Like, some of the best Bond, vi- Bond movies were the one where they just had Blofeld be the recurring villain. And like, yeah, he'd die, but then like, they'd come back in the next one and be like, with a different actor and be like, ah, I see you got plastic surgery, Blofeld. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, I'm hiding my identity. It's like, ah, good. Let's keep this going. I like this. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I wish they would do more of that. But just like, I know this guy's disposable, and that makes me a little less interested in the movie, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. But I, it does look really cool. It's got a great cast, fantastic cast. Uh, and it'll be fun. And it's going to come out real like soon. Like, I just keep forgetting, like, oh, that comes out in February. Like, yeah. Don't wait till May, like typical, you know, movie release time. So we we're finally entering that like three Marvel movies a year, and then eventually it's going to go to four, and then we'll have five. That'll be like every every two months we'll get one, and uh, it's going to be weekly, like Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, I wouldn't put it past them. Um, so another comic news: we have a. Uh, this is a little bit late on this, but like we didn't talk about it last week. But the so I just want to briefly touch on like the the Punisher delay. Hmm. So in the wake of the terrible events in Las Vegas, Marvel, who was going to drop Punisher the following weekend, I believe, uh, as like a big surprise, like, ah, we got you, like, it's coming out now kind of thing, decided this is ill-timed and said as much and said, you know, this is inappropriate and we want to be respectful of everyone involved, which is good. Um, Does betray some questions of like is it you know eh, like well, is this when, ever appropriate yeah like, when is the right time now so what are your thoughts on this i mean i i i had reservations about it back when we first you know when the trailer came out and we had our reactions i think we both kind of agreed like there is something weird about the punisher in today's context and especially this interpretation of the punisher as you know mentally ill veteran um 
killing um, what appear to be law-abiding Americans <laughs> um, who he just thinks are on the wrong side of some conspiracy against him. Like, that doesn't feel very good right now. And I think that's I think that's the important question is, so yes, it is clearly not right. You know, it is clearly the wrong time to, to put out the Punisher after Las Vegas. But given that we have, you know, but yeah, when is the right time? And I don't know if there is a right time for this particular character portrayed in this particular way um, in America right now, given how dangerous our country is in terms of guns and how the national psychosis around enemies within and um, conspiracy seems to be getting worse. And I don't think we need a quote unquote hero who embodies that. Yeah. I and mean, I'm hoping the trailer was a little bit, was hard to gauge. Like I'm hoping that those people he were, he was killing were not like just like FBI and NSA, like F- FBI and CIA agents, like hunting him down as a, you know, like you said, a wanted criminal and more like, uh, like corrupt army people, you know, cause it comes out, it seems like that, that corruption is somewhere in that area. And like, they're not yeah. just like, you know, like more coming after him because like, they're going to expose him and they're all evil. That would but make th- a little more palatable, but, but I think there's, there's something about, you know, they chose to frame up this Frank castle. Um, his mission is to get to the bottom of the conspiracy mm-hmm. that killed his family, as opposed to the original, more simplistic, maybe less realistic Frank castle, which was just mobsters killed my family. Ipso facto, I kill all mobsters. Um, and making it a part of a conspiracy, um, you know, and having the government be involved and as opposed to just, you know, no, I, I, I kill mobsters. We can all agree mobsters are bad. Um, where, and now it's like, oh no, but this, this guy also had, had, had a bullet in his brain and he clearly suffers from PTSD. So how much can we believe him about any of this is, I, um, yeah, I, I think as much as I, I like this treatment of the Punisher from a certain angle, and I think, you know, John Barenthal's performance is great, but I think he belongs in Daredevil season two as a potential villain and, um, just a dark mirror to our heroes, um, as opposed to the center of something because it just doesn't feel right. When do you think they are going to release it? Um, God willing, barring any other catastrophes, I think they would wait until after, uh, I would think December. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was thinking, I was, I wasn't sure how long they're going to lay it for like a few weeks, a few months. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I don't want to sit on it too long, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's tough not to crack. I, the more I think yeah. about it, the more I go in circles on it, but it's weird. I, you know, we could probably do a whole nother episode on it, but, um, to move on to lighter, harder things, since we spent so much time on the Punisher in the previous episode, if we want yeah. to delve too much back in. Um, what do you think of this like teen superhero era we just entered? So, you know, Runaways is coming to Hulu this month or next month. Gifted's on TV and apparently not terrible. Uh, and the New Mutants trailer came out, which is a straight-up horror movie trailer. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, first of all, I don't. I think New Mutants looks dumb. Uh because I mean, and maybe there's a way that they can make this work, but I just feel like it's tough to do some a horror movie where you're 
sexy teens in the horror movie also have superpowers. Yeah, you know, it seems like it's more like they're trying to tap into that, like the supernatural. I bet it's all gonna have to do with magic. I think she's in it, right? Like stuff from hell, literally coming out. You know. Yeah, but yeah you're right. You're right. It's gonna it's, it's gonna turn to an action movie at the end, right? Like, uh, if not, I would I would be I would not be surprised if once this movie comes out, it turns out that it is much more just a traditional kind of you know X Men type movie. Um, with some scary parts that, that they chose to represent it as more of a horror take, but it, I just don't, I, horror movies are all about like, it's a, it's a disempowerment fantasy. It's not an, you know, and, and superhero stuff is an empowerment fantasy. I don't know how you mix those things. Yeah, it is a strange mix. Um, I, I do think it's like going to have a weird tone depending on what they go with it, but what do you think of the whole, just in general that like, I also forgot that cloak and daggers, is it on? Is it going to be? On? I think it comes out. I next don't think year. it's out yet. ABC Family, like we're getting a lot of. You know, I guess Spider Man technically. You know, a very, a very yeah. young, young trend in superhero films or superhero media right now. I mean, it's a clear marketing strategy of like, how do we bring young people into this and get them in? You know, get bring them into this ecosystem. We give them characters they can relate to. Um, I think that's a, might be a bit ageist because. I would argue teenagers can enjoy movies about grownups. Um, maybe their market research tells them otherwise, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's certainly not for me. I mean, I don't think I can truthfully after, after watching big mouth on Netflix, I don't think I can watch anything about teenagers anymore because, <laughs> because honestly, like it's, you know, big mouth is so like true in the way that like, it's like, Oh yeah, that's exactly how those years were. Uh, like you're just a ball of sexual frustration and confusion between the ages of 13 and 19. So anything that portrays teenagers as anything, but I'm like, well, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hear you. I, I, I mean, I, it's hard. Cause like runaways and new mutants are both like beloved runs, like mm-hmm. in their respective audiences. So, I mean, I hope they give, they get, they get given a good treatment, but uh, yeah, I, it's interesting. I wonder. I wonder what the market research is telling them. Why all these things now? I mean, I feel like teenagers are probably going to see the Marvel movies just as much as they would a movie about teenagers. But yeah. see, I, I think I think it's usually like this crowd is. See, usually I think it probably plays to the generation, not generation, but like the age bracket below. Like teenagers go and see movies about young, pretty adults. Preteens go and see movies about teenagers. Kids see movies about preteens. Like I, that's, I think that's good, like a that's model. actually probably pretty accurate. Because like you, it's like I said, superheroes are empowerment, and you always think things are gonna get better when you're older. So yeah, maybe it's I don't inherently know. aspirational. And um, we're watching in some of our Marvel, some of our favorite Marvel films are about a- aging superheroes. Yeah, Logan. <laughs> yeah, 120. It, I mean, and he, well, yeah, and even even like the Marvel movies, like Robert Johnny Jr. is getting up there. You know, like yeah, they're not well, young people anymore. You know, and I and truthfully, I don't really want to watch movies about you know young fit people running around having fun <laughs> with no responsibilities i don't want to watch that this makes me <laughs> sad i want to watch i want to watch shows about people who like yeah like you say like have it maybe a little bit worse than me like you know. i always wanted that that magneto movie they said it was me like the, the pianist but magneto but Magneto's in it yeah i always wanted that as like another like old man superhero movie but mostly just to see more ian mckellen but Anyway, uh, I, I'm probably gonna watch Runaways. Uh, it looks okay. 
hopefully it's good. I mean, Hulu has been putting out really good content. So like if it's kind of like Netflix where it's like, well, if their name's on it, it probably is not it's probably pretty good. So I'm going to watch it. Um, I've heard Gifted is good, but I don't have high hopes for New Mutants, like you said. Yeah. Partially because it's Fox and, well, their track record has been couple spikes and a lot of duds lately yeah they have logan and deadpool which are the movies that like they they tried to not make (laughs) definitely so but i think that i think that pretty much rounds up anything else you want to do another 45 minutes on video games no no No. i don't um you want to go take 45 minutes and feed your dopamine addiction because you're getting irritable because you're not playing right right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh that is the that is the struggle. Um, no, I guess uh, any recommendations? I guess because we talked so much about video games um, and, you know, video games that are not, um, that are the opposite of the kind of things that I, I, I want people to experience. Um, I guess the thing I would recommend is if you have not, um, find a way to go play Shadow of the Colossus. Um there is a remake coming out for PS4. Um, there was a remake for PS3, and then it was on PS2 originally. Um, maybe you can emulate it. I don't know how these things work, but uh, it is the example of what video games can be when they are designed to make you think and feel and not just uh, scratch the dopamine itch. So, yeah, Shadow of the Colossus. Um, I'm going to try and track down a set of videos that we can put in the show notes then, and this time I'm actually going to do it because I've said this a couple times now and <laughs> i haven't sent greg some things so i'm gonna try and make sure those get put in somewhere um there's a set of kind of like retrospective videos done about star wars galaxies uh and this was a you know mmo made by sony online entertainment uh i guess it came out in 2003 i think and ran for mm, nine years something like that uh and it sort of talked about the kind of magic of the game and what made it so interesting and appealing to a lot of people and sort of focus on some of the things that like, it definitely spoke to some of the things that I really fell in love with in the game. It has, so you have, you have those games, Greg, where like it's scratched an itch and that itch has never been scratched ever since. Yeah. And par- yeah. part of it's a, part of it's a probably moment in time in your life, right? Like I was like a teenager and exploring this whole new world of online video gaming. So it's probably just rose tinted glasses and like this, the, the novelty of it all, but also just, you know, the intense investment I had in it, once again, time and not having anything else to worry about. But yeah, it's always been like, there's always a hole there. And, and uh, it's a weird thing to say about a video game, but um, I would like to try and find, there's some videos I found, or I'll, I'll find something that talks a little bit about it, but it's been getting more press lately. People have been like trying to emulate it, some stuff. Cause like, since it's not really on anymore, people can kind of do more stuff. People have like their own private modded servers that people run. And it wouldn't really be a fun game to play today. Cause the garbage are the, the, you know, the graphics are garbage and it's really grindy and like kind of broken in a lot of ways, but people took the game and just like, this is the, this is before the age of like weekly patches and things. It was like, Oh, it's a patch every like nah, six months, maybe like we'll add, we'll add something or fix something. But people had to sort of make do with what they had and made their own fun. <laughs> so I'll find those tonight. All right. Yeah. You talk a big game. I do. So, All right, guys. Well, I hope you have a good week. You too. Um, I hope we weren't too grim tonight. No, I think I. I mean, I think we're just we're just you know we're well we're kind of grim dudes, I guess. But <laughs> well, I guess uh, if we bummed you out too much, you can always go check out those uh, Jim Davis Galactus comics. 
Or Big Mouth, right? Or Big Mouth. Go watch Big Mouth on Netflix. <laughs> it's pretty great. Also, correction, it is not Will Arnett who plays the hormone monster. It is apparently Nick Kroll doing his damn best Will Arnett impression. <laughs> good, good. All, All right, right, well, God. I'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>